At Walmart, we believe that when you're lining up for great holiday deals, death should be one of the last things on your mind. That's why this year, we're taking extra measures the day after Thanksgiving to make sure the only thing getting trampled is our prices. This year, our 5 a.m. doorbuster blowout stampede will be known as the Howdy Neighbor After You Sailathon. Our elderly greeters are equipped with maps to help you navigate the store, coffee to help you start your day, and tasers. We're rolling back prices and rolling back you if you move too fast. Don't worry, there's plenty of savings for everyone. Well, not really, but you better behave anyway. Walmart. Save money. Live. Gobble, gobble, everybody. I'm Jeff Horwich, and this is not a Walmart commercial. No, this is In The Loop. And for many of you, if you listen to the podcast within, oh, I don't know, about a week or so of when we put it out, this will be your Thanksgiving episode. And we're going to have kind of a Thanksgiving feel to what we're doing today. We're going to talk about what we're thankful for, and we're going to talk to a farmer about killing animals. That sounds like fun. And of course, there's this whole shopping thing, right? The Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, which is, uh, in conventional wisdom, the biggest shopping day of the year. In reality, it is not. But it's certainly the most mm, ridiculous shopping day of the year when people get the craziest and line up the earliest. I think that's fair to say. And last year, you'll probably recall, Walmart, in fact, did have a death uh, of a worker, I think, at one of its stores in New York, New York State, um, trampled to death by shoppers in the early morning hours on Black Friday. And so Walmart and other retailers are taking a number of precautions this year to prevent any injuries, uh, but they might also significantly sort of change this Black Friday tradition. Sandin put out a call to the National Retail Federation just to sort of see what Walmart and some other places are doing to prepare. Uh, Among other things, lots of stores are running dress rehearsals this year to learn how to control crowds, uh, in particular crowds of people who are being held back from someplace they want to get to. They're going to be communicating a lot more with people who are waiting out in line, uh, give them stuff to eat and to drink. Uh, They are reportedly... um, practicing how to talk down customers who aren't able to get what they want if it's sold out. And they're going to be giving out tickets to people in line instead of uh, letting them go through the doors for free-for-all. They're going to get tickets for the items that they want. This is all good preparation for you if you're thinking of heading out uh, for Black Friday. But here's something to know, especially about Walmart, because the whole line thing, Walmart is hoping to make it irrelevant. And while I certainly understand the safety, it pretty much destroys the tradition. Walmart is going to open all day on Thanksgiving... And then all the way through the night, Thanksgiving night, so there is no door opening moment on that Friday. They're open all through Thanksgiving. So uh, a bonus for safety, um, kind of a sad note for the tradition of crazy Black Friday shopping, and an even sadder note for Walmart employees who apparently now get to work on Thanksgiving and work all the way through the night, Thanksgiving night. And if Walmart's leading the way, maybe we can bid a farewell to the Friday morning rush. We'll see if others take that cue. Lots to be thankful for on the show today, not least of which is an unusual, probably a first-time occurrence for us, I think, where we wrote a song in lieu of getting an interview with somebody. Uh, And it would be nice if this worked for Hamid Karzai, who we did the song about a couple weeks ago. We're still waiting for that call. But in this case, we wrote our song last week about Representative Joseph Gao uh, from Louisiana who was the only GOP congressman to vote in favor of health reform in the House. And uh, we didn't hear anything back from his communications people uh, until the song came out 
And it was a big hit in New Orleans where he's from, and I guess a big hit with his office staff and, and perhaps with him. So this week, I have now sitting down in a studio in Washington, D.C. at the U.S. Capitol, Representative Joseph Gao to talk with me about the vote that put him on the map. Congressman Gao, are you there? Hi, Jeff. Hi. I'm the host of the show. I guess you're familiar with, with our video and our song by now, aren't you? Thank you so much. I thought it was uh, very, very funny. Well, I'm glad you appreciated it. You know, it was it was not entirely kind uh, through and through. I, I guess I'm glad to see that your your folks have a sort of sense of balance and maybe a sense of humor. And you as well. Don't worry. I, I have a pretty good sense of humor. Now, the way this worked out, we did the song because we didn't hear back from your folks. We want to line up an interview with you. And, and now we do have the interview with you. So I thought it might be an interesting way to work through the interview just to we'll work our way through the song because the song's there as a, a sort of common base. And, and we'll start with that. So the first verse. Who's in the limelight suddenly? Joe Guy. Joe Guy. Loneliest man in the GOP. Joe Guy. Was he reckless? Was he braver to cast his vote in favor? Did he ever waver? Joe Gow. Are you the loneliest man in the GOP? Uh, well, if you are talking about the vote, then, then I was the only one to vote for the bill. Uh-huh. But if you are talking about people not talking to me or people uh, shutting me out, that's absolutely not true. They fully understand the reasons why I voted for the bill because oftentimes members will have to vote contrary to the wishes of the party. But why did nobody else in your party do this? Because as you say, most of the time, a handful of members at least will, will cross party lines for one reason or another, and this time it was, was just you. I mean, they were in lockdown mode for this vote. Right, and I'm not going to speak on their behalf, but I would assume the reasons why uh, no one else voted for the bill because all of the people in their districts were uh, were somehow one way or another against the bill. Now, a little later in the song, I, I speculate, partly because it was a good rhyme, but also because it lines up with what people were saying. Uh, did he hold his vote for ransom? It only takes a single man Make a bill bipartisan. Joe Gow, Joe Gow. Did he hold his vote for ransom? He played the game and then some on TV looking handsome. Joe Gow. Now we, <laughs> now we know the White House uh, really wanted you. And they might have wanted some other members as well. But they wanted you and, you know, and you sided with them on this. What was it that you needed to get to lock down your vote for this bill? No, I, I did not need to get anything because... I did not make a firm commitment to vote for the bill. I had decided to support the bill only if the pro-life amendment, the two-pack amendment, passed. You're Catholic, so that was a very important issue to you. Right. I am Catholic, but the amendment is important to me not because I'm Catholic, but because I'm pro-life. And was that unfolding on that Saturday? Refresh my my memory. Okay. The two-pack amendment was voted on. I believe uh, maybe an hour or or half an hour before the uh, before the main bill. Mm. So th- there was a lot of drama for me personally uh, on that Saturday. He waited late his vote to cast. By then the bill already passed. Was it deep deliberation, horse trading calculation, or just thinking of the nation? Joe Gow. 
the speculation has been that you you were sort of waiting for enough yes votes on the board to make it certain that the bill was going to pass, so th- that you weren't going to be the vote that flipped it, because then you'd really be talking pressure. <laughs> why why <laughs> why did you vote so late in the process? Well, I was uh, actually I was sitting there uh, talking with Don Young, who is the representative from Alaska, and uh, I believe that there was a time when we were competing to see who would be the last one to vote. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now, now why, why were you competing to see who, who would be the last one to vote? Just just for fun? No, it, it was not for fun, but it, it was, you know, we, we were sitting there talking about the bill, and, and, and obviously we saw that there were, uh, everyone uh, had voted except for three, and then Don Young and I, we were just sitting there uh, having a friendly conversation because, uh, as you know, mm. uh, we were allowed 15 minutes Sure. To vote well, time, pa- time passes by and, you know, like a couple of Northwest Airlines pilots who are wrapped up in conversation. Uh, Correct. You just, you just never know. <laughs> uh, you look up and suddenly you got to vote. Now, in the last verse of the song, I think, I, I suggest that you, you may be what's called a rhino, which is Republican in name only. Uh, uh-huh. And I just want to ask, how do, you, how do you like that term? I'm sure that's not the first time you've heard it. I do not see myself uh, as your regular politician, and I don't see myself as a Democratic politician or a Republican politician. I, I see myself as a person who is focused on looking at the needs of my constituents, looking at the issues that are facing the country. And in this case, the makeup of your district, the demographics of your district, the needs of your constituents, I gather, were a, an extremely powerful force in, in how you voted here. Not necessarily, because as their representative, uh, I've been delegated uh, the power to make decisions on their behalf. As a U.S. representative, we have to look at all the issues. We have to look at all the numbers, all the studies that are out there. The people, they don't have access to that. Oftentimes, they are swayed by, uh, for example, lobbying groups who want them to call in and, and try to sway us one way or another but they don't fully understand how a certain bill or a certain issue would impact a particular district. I do because I have access to all those studies. Mm -hmm. So I need to make the best decision possible based on the needs of the district, based on the, I guess, the demographics of of the district. And in this case, I guess you would look at the number of uh, people without health insurance in your district. Correct. And those who are sick, uh, those who are in need of health care. But obviously, at the end of the day, I have to live with myself, and I cannot live with myself if I support a health care reform bill that would have federal funding for abortion. Just working our way through the, uh, the end of the tune here, beloved and despised, embraced and ostracized, 15 minutes realized. What has been the, uh, the upside and the downside of being so out on a limb? I guess uh, there were some difficult moments this past week. Uh, obviously, many people are angry uh, about the health care reform bill, and rightly so, uh, because the bill is so complex and it touches uh, all levels uh, of society. For me, uh, they also have the right to vent their anger, to vent their frustration. But what what you're saying is, is people are mad at you. <laughs> very, very <laughs> mad at you, right? Uh, coming from well, the... So uh, on, the... I would assume only certain uh, sector uh, of, of society. But that is one of the consequences of being a U.S. representative is that uh, there will be a group angry and we will make a group happy with every decision that we make. Your party won't like this no how. 
The Republican Party, what what are they going to do with you, Representative Gao? They said they're going to come after those who strayed from the party. Are they coming after you? As I said already, the members are very supportive. The leadership, they fully understand, and they will continue to do what they have to do in order to support me in the work that I have to do to serve uh, my people down there in New Orleans. But I've also seen you saying the equivalent of uh, bring it on. <laughs> to, to uh, Michael Steele, the chairman of the Republican Party, if they want to try and, um, you know, go after your no, seat, no, go no, after no. you. I did not say that. I said that if the chairman of the RNC were to disagree or were to be angry with me, well, that's his right to do. If he were to decide to uh, to not support me, that's also his right. Uh, but I don't anticipate any kind of negative uh, actions from the chairman of, of the RNC. Well, Congressman, it's been good to talk with you. I think this may be the first time uh, a song of ours has actually netted us an interview we wanted to get. Uh, we're still <laughs> still waiting to hear from Hamid Karzai from uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Have you I, written a song about him? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. Oh, we've done him. <laughs> da- David, David Letterman, uh, you, you name it, over the past year. We do about a song a week at looking for sort of the newsmaker, the news event that um, seems most song-worthy, and you most certainly were. Uh, and uh, I'm grateful to have a chance to uh, to actually talk with you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jeff. GOP Congressman An Joseph Gao, spelled C-A-O for what it's worth, of Louisiana's 2nd Congressional District. And I'm thinking maybe I should start getting my Olympia Snow song ready, perhaps, if we want to try and land an interview with her. We'll see. And from this point on the episode, we're going to get kind of Thanksgiving on you. And uh, we're going to start with an idea that came from uh, listener Craig out in Bozeman, Montana. You hear his poems on the show from time to time, Craig Kenworthy, who requested uh, as, a, as a very sort of news-you-can-use kind of concept. I think Craig genuinely wanted to know, what are people's alternatives for turkey around Thanksgiving time? So I pitched that out on our Facebook page, and it was a big hit. A lot of people responded to that. And um, as a result, we have made... A bit of a segment out of it for the show today. Turkey alternatives! All right, now you're up. People had lots of good suggestions for their fellow listeners, including, uh, let's see, Mexican food, Moroccan food, mac and cheese, takeout pizza, lobster, lamb, jambalaya, Cornish game hens, uh, Cornish game hens stuffed inside of a turkey. Uh, But we picked out just a few folks from that thread to specifically follow up with today. And first we've got... Al Nowatsky on the phone here, and really hardcore listeners might remember Al from a commentary, a wonderful commentary that he did for one of our live shows about two years ago about turning vegan. And Al, you mentioned on our Facebook page, um, what, Fields Roast, also known as Celebration Roast? Yeah, yeah. Fill me in on what it is and why it's the superior choice uh, for you anyway around this time of year. Yeah, it's uh, the Celebration Roast is uh, is like the sort of the, the cooler younger brother of the uh, tofurkey, which is, uh, if anyone's seen a tofurkey, it, it basically looks like a, a big ball of mechanically molded tofu. Um, right. That, Self-explanatory. is made out of tofu and um, tastes sort of like turkey, maybe? I don't know. Well, yeah, um, the tofurkey kind of goes for a turkey taste. They don't succeed, obviously, because it's not turkey. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's different. So with this uh, celebration roast stuff, what's what's the approach that they take? Well, yeah, they, they don't... It doesn't try to taste like turkey. It doesn't try to feel like turkey, um, which you know. There's nothing you know. When I was when I first went vegan, I definitely I was I was going for the tofurkey or for the tofurkey because because.
because I wanted something that tasted like turkey, because I wanted something that felt like turkey, so I could kind of feel like I used to feel around Thanksgiving. But the celebration roast has a, a better texture. It's made out of grain instead of tofu, and uh, it has like a kind of stuffing inside of it, which mm-hmm. is the same thing that the tofurkey has. But uh, just all around, it tastes better. It looks way better. It, it doesn't look like a ball of mechanically molded clay. It, it doesn't set out to taste like meat necessarily, or any particular kind of meat. What what does it taste like? That's a good question. <laughs> That's hard to put uh, put a finger on. I don't know. Uh-huh. It, it tastes. It's basically uh, wheat gluten, so it doesn't have too much of a taste there. But you know, it has um, the spices in it, um, which I guess. Like it'd be the same kind of spices that you you would taste when you're eating stuffing, I suppose. Hmm. So it kind of tastes like like a, a stuffing meat, I suppose. So it's sort of stuffing stuffed with stuffing. The yeah, way, the way you were yeah, describing sure. it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, and you don't really boring. need to serve stuffing with it at your Thanksgiving table, then? Huh? No, no. Gravy's good though because it it can be a little dry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always nice to have some gravy on hand. Do you think that the uh, the vegan or vegetarian uh, options for Thanksgiving have really have really arrived now that we have uh, celebration roast? I mean, is this is this as, as good as you can imagine it getting? Oh no, it can always get better, but there's an option now at least. You know, it's not tofurkey by default. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, there's definitely you know those products out there, and then I know plenty of people who make their own. Mm-hmm. Which always, almost always tastes better than than the store bought stuff. And do they have a category? Can you put a single word on what those things, what those things are? I mean, when it's meat, you know, it's it's the meat thing on the table. But in this case, we're going for what? It's not a substitute for meat, right? It it is a it is a little bit, I suppose. Is um, it the, the protein. You know, I mean, is it? Yeah, I yeah. With with definitely with uh, with tofu based ones, there's there's a lot of protein in those. Um, it's just a lot of calories, you know, uh, calorie dense. You know, protein loaf. Which I suppose, yeah, I guess, <laughs> sure. <laughs> bring, bring out the calorie-dense protein loaf. Yeah. Celebration <laughs> roast is an option, but you can also make your own. Yeah, yeah. Well, Al, thanks very much for filling us in. It's uh, good to talk with you again. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Al Nowatsky, who is here in St. Paul. Uh, let's do one more of these right now and then uh, a couple more later in the show. I'm going to call up Anna Torborg, another longtime friend of In The Loop in Minneapolis, I believe, uh, with another vegetarian option that I have never heard of. Hello? Hey, Anna, Jeff Horwich. Hi. So you mentioned this thing called uh, corn, and uh, how is it spelled again? Q-U-O-R-N. All right. And uh, Sandin, not surprisingly, had heard of it. I've never heard of it, though. Um, What is it? It's a vegetarian protein that comes uh, from a sort of mushroom. So it's Soy-free. Um, really? But it's yeah. m- mushroom-based, huh? Yeah, a microprotein, I guess. So I, I think your comment in a note to me while we were lining up this interview was, uh, so good, it's suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's, the product started out in the UK, and that was the first time that I had it, oh. uh, was when I was living over there. And it was. It, you know, when you're somewhere new and you don't really know what their standards are, um, you know, not it's not going to be dodgy. It's not, you know, it's good quality. But right. you just think, what are they putting in this stuff? How can this not actually have meat in it? It tastes so meaty. Really? And so is that the main thing that it has going for it taste-wise is that it, it could fool, well, maybe not fool people, but it's uh, close to the real thing? Yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, I've been vegetarian for almost 10 years, so I think my opinion is probably questionable 
as to, you know, whether <laughs> what meat tastes like real meat. Would, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of sort of veggie turkey alternatives now on, on the market, and I really like the corn one. Is it meant to taste like turkey specifically? Yeah. Yeah. It's called the corn turkey roast, and, you know, okay. they put uh, an apostrophe in place of the E in turkey, so, you know, it's not really turkey. Around Thanksgiving time, do you find yourself kind of inclined towards something that is more meat-like just because of the uh, tradition? Um, I think when when you're trying to fit something into a, a big family meal, it's easier to go with something like that mm-hmm. um, because you're surrounding it with all of the other usual Thanksgiving, you know, accompaniments. Right. Do you cook uh, for or with your, your family for Thanksgiving most years? Well, we usually do Thanksgiving with my mom's side of the family, which is really large. And uh-huh. so there's a fair portion of us who are vegetarian. So the spread is always pretty friendly. Even the non-vegetarians, do they tend to enjoy the corn uh, or do they ignore it? I would say pretty much ignore it. It's, you know, it's usually a fairly small portion of what's on offer. Everybody that I know who has tried the corn roast really has enjoyed it and has been surprised by how authentic it tastes. Hmm. Well, I'm glad for the uh, recommendation. I have vegetarians in my family, so I find myself eating vegetarian uh, on occasion for things like Thanksgiving and uh, and Christmas. So maybe it'll make an appearance on uh, on my table at some point. Yeah. Anna, good to talk with you. Thanks so much. Anna Torborg there with her turkey alternative of choice. And we'll set the turkey alternative thing aside for the moment. And now, um, how about a song? I was trolling Facebook and Twitter this week for your suggestions for, I don't know, uh, the stupidest stories of the year, maybe. Um, Why? Because they keep the world turning, uh, at least in the media business. And it's the time of year when we think about the things for which we are grateful. So from all of your suggestions uh, and from my own recollections... I have built you all this little tune. It's the time of the year we gave thanks For the blessings being laid out before us And us media folk, we got a lot to be thankful for too We do To the goofballs who feed us The egos who need us The self-serving idiot chorus I now raise a great big old turkey leg to you. To the Senate election that just never ends. To governors who sell Senate seats to their friends. To birthers, tea baggers, death panel finger waggers. Thank you for a scintillating year. To pro football players who just can't retire To congressmen who yell out that their president's a liar All those hikers and reporters who have trouble spotting borders The cop and the professor and Joe Biden drinking beer To governors who say they've gone out on a hike When they're boinking with some gal in Buenos Aires To talk show hosts who sleep with anyone they like Rappers with no class who jump on stage and grab the mic To actor prima donnas hurling F-bombs left and right 
twin stars with a bong stuck to their face on toga night. Right-wing pundits football dreams, others freakish girly screams. Thanks for coming, we're awfully glad you're here. Jiffy Pop, no one inside, took us all for quite a ride. Thank you so much for distracting us this year. Thank you, everybody, as always, for your many, many ideas. And if you are not a part of the giant idea-generating circus that is in the loop, uh, join us on our Facebook page, loopfacebook.net, or click uh, Join the Network at our uh, normal website, which is intheloopshow.net. And there's going to be a video of this one. I haven't made it just yet as I'm talking to you now, but we've got the various raw components, so I think I'll put that together on Monday. All those stories uh, you have heard about to death in most cases. Let's move on to a little segment of our show where we're going to feature some headlines that you maybe aren't so familiar with. We call it our News Niche segment, and the premise is that we bring in a listener or someone else we've come into contact with who is passionate about or has a certain expertise for a particular area of the news, and they kind of give us a, a briefing on it. Richard Oswald is a farmer-slash-blogger from Missouri, and he was coming into town today, so we've got him in a studio in Kansas City, I believe. Richard, very good to talk with you. Oh, it's nice to be here. Well, tell me a little bit, before we get started here, about your your farm. Well, actually, I'm a, a row crop farmer. I started out uh, on the farm when I was about 14 years old. We had hogs and cattle and milk cow, chickens, did everything that every farmer ought to do in, in the perfect world, I guess. And over the years, uh, we've consolidated the farm down now to where uh, we're primarily uh, producing corn and soybeans, and we have some cattle on the farm. And where is the farm exactly? The farm is in extreme northwest Missouri, near Langdon, Missouri. So you'll have to look real hard to find Langdon on the map. It's a pretty small spot. <laughs> well, while we've got you here, let's let's talk through a couple of the stories that you brought to our attention. Uh, some okay. some food and agriculture stories, appropriately, of course, to share with us on this kind of pre-Thanksgiving uh, episode. Uh, first one I, I want to ask you about. There's a proposal in D.C., you tell us, that, that I think most of us probably haven't heard of, calling for a federal office of humane slaughter. Uh, mm-hmm. And I had a typo in my notes here. I wrote human slaughter, but this is this is humane slaughter, I presume. Uh, tell me about that. That comes later. <laughs> who, who's pushing that uh, legislation, and and what's the the reasoning for it? Well, Diane Feinstein is behind that. Uh, she's from California. Mm-hmm. What motivates Senator Feinstein is that uh, there's been a lot of revelations over the last several years of things going on in slaughtered plants. Uh, I remember a year or two ago there was a video of chickens, live chickens being thrown against the wall by the workers to kill them. Hmm. And, uh, and then uh, there was another video that came out not too long ago of workers in a, in a beef slaughter plant where they were trying to use a forklift to push a cow into the slaughter plant because she couldn't stand up. And it was a pretty graphic display of inhumane treatment. So Senator Feinstein, uh, she decided she'd do something about this because it just seems to be a problem that repeats over and over. So this bill would address some of that? I mean, what would it do? Would it, would it step up enforcement? Because the things we're seeing in these videos, we already know those are outliers. They're, they're illegal. Uh, so what are we well, going yeah. to get out of an office of humane slaughter? I hope we're going to get a few more inspectors in the plants watching to be sure things are, are done right. And I think it's also going to make those processors aware that somebody is watching and hopefully it'll make them do a better job of doing their job. You know, we've butchered on the farm, and that's when you slaughter on the farm, that's the one thing that you want to do is you want to do it humanely. You want to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. You want to end that animal's life quickly because you've carried food to it every day of its life. Well, let's move on to another one that you brought to our attention here. And I remember hints of this. I, I grew up in, in Montana. Uh, controversy over killing uh, bison 
in and around, I presume, Yellowstone National Park. Tell me what's going on. A disease that cattle ranchers fight, especially in that part of the country, is brucellosis. What's bad about brucellosis is it makes the cow abort her calf. So she doesn't go full term and she loses her calf, and that costs the ranchers money. Sure. Now the ranchers are concerned because bison numbers are increasing, and they're afraid that the bison are going to be a possible source of brucellosis uh, in their cattle. So ranchers are advocating to have those bison numbers thinned out. So the notion of culling the herd or killing bison, Yeltsin, it's, it's not brand new. I mean, the government has been, been doing that already, yeah, right? It's so, been done. Yeah, okay. they've killed large number, 3,300, I think, and uh, up to last year. And then last year, I think they took 1,800, but some... Uh, uh, wildlife advocates and environmentalists and others are opposed to killing the bison. So they're, they're having a court case about it to decide who's right and, and who's wrong. What it comes down to is management, I think, of the bison herd. Nobody can really say that brucellosis has been transmitted from the buffalo to the cattle. I don't think that anybody has said yet that that's actually happened. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a matter of should they manage the herd in such a way that would prevent that from ever happening. Am I recalling this right? Brucellosis is uh, animals touch noses for the most part, and that's one of the main ways that it's uh, transmitted? Yeah, contact. Noses mm-hmm. especially. <laughs> that's yeah. From being in high school out there, it's like you don't want your cows touching noses with the elk. Uh, and that was that was well, a big well they could but you know they if they're grazing in the same pasture and saliva's mm-hmm. on the grass so even in close proximity why uh, it could be transmitted you also brought our attention to uh, a new study that ties red meat to cancer in the spring there were some studies as i recall talking about uh, heart disease and, and other kinds of cancer but this time it's uh, prostate cancer right right we've heard about nitrates and nitrites that become nitrosamines in our cured meats and the possibility that that could be a cancer risk for people, but now they've done more research. The study revealed that men who ate large amounts of processed meats had a maybe a 30% better chance of developing prostate cancer. Uh, are some meats safer than others? Uh, some preparation methods? What's your general understanding of some guidelines for people who are listening? You need to remember that uh, processed meats and cured meats shouldn't be cooked at high temperatures because that increases the production of chemicals that could be carcinogenic. The processed meats are frankfurters, sausages, um, Polish dogs, generally those things that have uh, a skin on them. I see what you're uh, saying. The package may even say um, pre-cooked. On the other hand, if you like fresh meat that's ground, Mm -hmm. then it especially should be cooked thoroughly at a fairly high temperature so that there is no pink left in the middle. It needs to be well done clear through so that you're sure to kill pathogens that might not be able to exist uh, in processed meats that are cured. Well, and they're telling you not to grill, right? Isn't that a big part of this? Which I just uh, can't, I, yeah. I can't fathom not not grilling meat. They tell, what did they tell you? Poach it, broil it? Oh, come on, right? You can grill it. You just don't need to grill it over a hot grill. You don't need to grill it until it's well done. You know, mm. Put it on the edge of the grill instead of putting it right in the middle over the fire. You know, if it's cured meat, why it doesn't need to be cooked quite as well. One more that I want to ask you about, and uh, Marijuana University is what is in my notes here from my producer. Mm-hmm. I'll let you fill I in. Been. I'll let you fill <laughs> fill in uh, the details. <laughs> well, medical marijuana is uh, something that's becoming more and more common in the United States. Uh, I think 13 states, I believe, have legalized marijuana, and some more are considering doing that. And so, in uh, Michigan, a professor is uh, holding a marijuana U, and he's showing people. Mm. Uh, how to grow marijuana for medicinal purposes for their own use, or or even in that state, a person can grow enough marijuana to supply five other people 
who have a need. Like teaching a class to undergraduates, or is this sort of a community education course, or where people it's just from sort the... of a community education course? It costs about four hundred and seventy-five dollars to attend, and it wow. it lasts from six to ten p.m. in the evening, and folks go in. Most generally, are, are people who just about when they're waking uh, up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they want to learn how to grow the marijuana for their for their own purposes. Is there much to that economically as a uh, as a viable crop for, for farmers in the U.S. to get into, presuming that the, the sort of opening continues and maybe spreads to Missouri and, and other places? Well, I think if it's legal for everyone to grow, really no. <laughs> a lot of people have been growing it themselves uh, in secluded places and, and providing for their own needs. Uh, the medicinal marijuana, I don't see that ever being a, a big market for farms. Well, uh, Richard, there's uh, news on these fronts coming up all the time. It's been good to talk with you, and um, I look forward to doing it again. All right. Thank you. Richard Oswald is a farmer in northwest Missouri, uh, also blogs at the Daily Yonder, dailyyonder.com. Brace yourselves. Turkey Alternatives! See, I told you it's coming back. We heard a couple of vegetarian options there earlier in the show, and uh, now we're going to go a little different direction with this uh, alternatives to turkey thing putting in a call here to Jenny Young. She lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And her alternative, I'll just tell you, is ham for the most part during Thanksgiving. And it, But it's not the ham part that's interesting. It is the reason that she has an alternative at all. And uh, so we'll get into that here. Hello. Hi, is this Jenny? This is Jenny. Hi, Jenny. This is Jeff Horwich within The Loop. Hi, Jeff Horwich from In The Loop. How are you today? I'm well, and uh, how are you? Excellent, excellent. Thank you. Glad to hear it. Jenny, you are turkey intolerant. Yes, right? I'm very intolerant of turkey. And not just in a um, sort of, you know, biased against it kind of a way, uh, like physically intolerant, right? You posted that on our Facebook page. What, is, uh, what does that mean, and, and when did it start? Okay, well, I guess it started, I don't know, eight or ten years ago. Uh, we'd go to my grandmother's house for Thanksgiving, and, and eating turkey is not a problem. But on the way back, you know, after you eat the turkey, you hang out for a couple of hours. On the way back, I'd have, well, horrible flatulence, gas. My goodness. Over the years, the ride got progressively more, the ride home got progressively more and more uh, stinky, I guess. Difficult for and, the people riding with you. <laughs> right, right. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And then it turned into uh, stomach cramps, and even one bite of turkey now is Likely to send me over the edge. Wow. Have you have you heard of anybody else with this condition? Does it run in your family or something? No. It's funny because I'm, I'm in medical school right now, and I talked to one of my teachers this morning expecting a call and asked her about it, and she is a, a gastroenterology specialist. She said that she had never heard of a turkey intolerance, and she tried to Google it and came up with allergies in the country of Turkey. Mm-hmm. So, or people who are intolerant of people who are from Turkey. Yes. Something like that. Oh, well, maybe we'll, we'll put you on the map here as the, uh, the, the turkey intolerant people can find on the Internet if they're curious about it. Maybe it's more common than you know. Right. And how many years have you gone cold turkey on turkey? Solidly off turkey, about five years. Do you miss it? No. The tradition of it or anything Not like all. that? No way. I do have a problem sometimes with people trying to trick me. I mean, not on purpose. Well, they make like a chili, and it's like turkey chili. <laughs> not people who have to ride in the car with you on the way home, though. <laughs> right. They exactly. would know better. <laughs> they would They would not do that to themselves. But, you know, chili and, and like Reuben sandwiches are sometimes made with turkey. and I think it's, it's easy to forget. So it's not like they're setting you up because they just want to see the fireworks. <laughs> no. Okay. No. 
<laughs> Nobody wants those fireworks. No. It's better for everybody if I just don't eat turkey. Well, uh, thank you very much for sharing your condition with us. And uh, I bet there are more turkey intolerance out there. And, and now maybe they, I don't know, a support group or something. We can reach out to each other. In the offing. Uh, well, it's been great to connect with you. Thanks so much, Jenny. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, have, a, have a safe and um, good-smelling good Thanksgiving. You bet. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Jenny Young talking to me on the phone from Nashville. Uh, I'm glad for the bizarre concentration of listeners we have in and around the Nashville area. That's very cool, whatever the cause. Let's do one more of these before we call it a day with the turkey alternatives thing. This is Michael Ireland. I'm calling up, and he is living in the western burbs of the Twin Cities. And his turkey alternative is not that alternative, but I'd never heard of it, so I thought I'd ask him about it. Hello, this is Michael. Hi, Michael. This is Jeff Horwich within the loop. Uh, hi, yes. Uh, you're Jeff Horwich, and I'm not. Yes, yes. That's Chevy Chase's line, but we'll we'll make use of it uh, for today. How are you? Well, pretty good. Uh, I, I'm expecting you want some fun with this. Uh, yeah, if you're if you're ready to have fun, let's have some fun. Okay, then. Um, you suggested on on our Facebook page that you're into turkey in a bag, uh, yeah. as opposed to just straight up turkey. And I guess I wasn't familiar with with turkey in a bag as a specific product. Uh, what is it and what's the point? Yes, it, it comes in a like a plastic hermetically sealed bag. Uh-huh. It's got no feathers or, or skin or bones. Uh, it's it's just the breast. That's you know, good. Turkey breast. Most of us don't get ours with feathers. Just I, I know, but I'm, that would be I'm, really authentic. I'm, I'm thinking back you know, to the pioneer days of having to go out with the blunderbuss and, and uh, you know, get your own turkey that way. Yes, definitely pre, pre-bag version of turkey. Uh, okay, so it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's turkey meat in a bag? Yes, and uh, the, the one I have is about a three-pounder because my girls and I and my wife, uh, we, we don't eat an awful lot. You know, we're, we're not regular Americans in that we have you know, big appetites and big portions. So <laughs> a three-pounder would do nicely for us. And is it, is it purely convenience that uh, leads you to embrace the turkey in a bag each Thanksgiving? Uh, yes, and a little bit of family history. Okay. Uh, if I can take you back to when I was uh, a child growing up in the United Kingdom, uh, we had big family gatherings on uh, my father's side. Uh, and I remember sitting around the dining room table at Christmas, uh, and my grandfather, who was a, big, a tall man but thin, and he was, he was leaning over the turkey, which was on a china plate, you know, and had gravy and grease and all, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was about to plunge uh, the knife into the turkey and start carving it. When his little dog, Betsy, walked between his legs, he lost his balance, and the knife slipped, the turkey slipped. Uh, everything ended up on the floor. Uh, this one incident put me off carving turkeys and preparing turkeys and and doing the thing, you know, stuffing the bird, mm-hmm. as my dad called it, fighting the beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these, these were 15, 20-pound turkeys. Right. Uh, so I've, I've downsized, you know, kind of gone green in that way, uh, if you like. Sure. Um, so you're not, you don't have so, so much uh, leftover meat, and uh, you're not throwing anything out when you're done right. with the turkey in, fact, in the bag. Right. In fact, there's no waste. I mean, uh-huh. it's, every slice is edible. And because we're only having a three-pound turkey, it's not going to go to my waist either. And you're not forcing yourself to devour turkey for a week and a half after Thanksgiving, like most of us. Right. You know, uh, because we found that with our gals, they're not big eaters and they're not great fans 
of, of the whole turkey deal. So we found it in, in the frozen section, and it's, it's just right for us. I mean, we're not big eaters, you know, and uh, we we really don't want the hassle of uh, getting out the blunderbuss and, and filling it with shard and then picking up the shot out of the turkey once we're eating it. Picking the shot out of the turkey? Yeah, oh. you know, from the blunderbuss. Yeah, you know, I've never... I've never actually run into that, but I, I hear it happens. Yeah, that has happened to me. Um, and, uh, of course, I broke a tooth on, on shot once. So, you know, I, I've got some reasons here, Jeff, why <laughs> I, I, I yes. want to go, you know, um, uh, modern or high-tech turkey. Well, uh, turkey in a bag, that's a, that's a fine endorsement, I think. Uh, Michael, thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Jeff. Have a good day. Michael Ireland there, uh, Michael Kenneth Ireland, as he goes uh, in Facebook, where people uh, use their middle names oftentimes to distinguish themselves. Michael also supplying there this week's arcane, mysterious vocabulary word for you, uh, blunderbuss. Uh, I should have asked him what it was. I presume it's some kind of gun, and I just looked it up here. Indeed it is one of those big, wide, muzzle-loading shot pellet gun things. You can shoot birds or pirates or, or whatever. You might be confused and forgiven for thinking that this is... Uh, the Splendid Table. It is not. This is in the loop uh, because The Splendid Table would never do this to you. Turkey Alternatives! And we won't do it to you anymore today. Finally, uh, a quick word about something that it occurred to me public radio reporters around the country at NPR and Marketplace in particular uh, are especially thankful for this 2009. And it goes... A little something like this. Analyst George Magliano at IHS Global Insight says the Chinese are... Yatovich of IHS Global Insight says Iceland should... Newport is an economist with IHS Global Insight, a forecasting firm. IHS Global Insight, that's an international economics forecasting forecasting firm. IHS Global Insight. IHS Global Insight. IHS Global Insight Insight. at IHS Global Insight. Okay, maybe you don't listen to uh, public radio with exactly the same uh, intensity that I do. But let me tell you, this has been a... Bonanza of a year for this economic analysis and uh, consulting firm called IHS Global Insight. I don't know anything about them except for the fact that public radio reporters, especially, and in print uh, and television, perhaps, uh, I don't watch that much television, uh, have been turning to IHS Global Insight all the time for auto industry analysis, uh, oil industry analysis, macroeconomic analysis. I went back uh, and just did a search through the archives of National Public Radio and Marketplace, and you can find, starting in November 2008, one year ago, all kinds of references uh, to IHS Global Insight, and you can find their analysts all over the media. But before that point, uh, hardly anything. So this has really been, these past 12 months, the year of IHS Global Insight. And congratulations to them. Uh, There's nothing nefarious about it, certainly. They're an economic uh, analysis and consulting firm who does not give investment advice. They get paid by companies who hire them to do detailed analysis of particular industries or trends or or whatnot. Uh, They just also happen to be very, very good uh, at getting their name out in the media. This has been their golden moment. So we're going to do a little get-to-know-you uh, segment here, very brief. If you want to hear the long, long version, uh, you can go on our Facebook page. Uh, I talked for about 20 minutes with their media relations guy, Jim Dorsey, who is the guy who uh, deserves presumably some of the credit, much of the credit, for getting his analysts out there and so well-placed in stories all over the place. He's very modest about that. But uh, here, in just a couple of clips, here's, here's his take on why this has been such a good year for them. Among the reasons that we are getting more and more noticed are are probably two. One is, you know, the economy, I guess, probably in the last uh, 18 months for sure, 
is the story to cover. Um, and two, uh, we have been around and have such a strong, established reputation in the business. And journalists uh, in print, uh, radio, television, you know, my team, we've figured out who they are who cover the economy. And we let them know who we are and what we do and what our expertise is. He also says, uh, and this is certainly true, or reporters would not use them, uh, that his folks are especially good at explaining the economy and boiling it down for the common man. Uh, and props to them. Now, just to play media watchdog here a little bit, and I've been a, a business reporter, I was for a number of years, and those analysts that reporters use are so important for supplying quotes and supplying quotes fast. I mean, you need those folks to help fill in the blanks on your stories. Uh, they can add things that you didn't hear about, but there's a lot of uh, blank filling that happens. And, and the analysts you hear in stories are extremely important for that uh, from the reporter's point of view. So, you know, it, it gets a little bit worrying that there's not more diversity in the analyst pool. Uh, the notion of having one particular analysis firm that comes up so frequently is not anything I remember from uh, my business reporting days, you know, four or five years ago. I was trying to think about why that might be, why IHS Global Insight has become so seemingly ubiquitous. And uh, as I was thinking that through, I put a call into Rick Edmonds, who is an analyst himself, a media analyst for the Pointer Institute, which is a journalism think tank based in Florida. And he gave me a notion for where some of the other analyst voices may have gone. Others, particularly the larger um brokerages, uh, in, in my experience recently, have been less inclined to put their analysts uh, out there that much. And, and you know, the, the analyst's job, to some extent, is to, to provide expertise to, to clients. So, you know, it, it, part of the appeal of being a client of, you know, you name it, uh, Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, whatever, is you may get invited to a special briefing from uh, person X who, who doesn't go around talking every day to everybody. That's right. Back in the day, back in my day, all these analyst folks that we would talk to, us reporters, worked for investment banks. They worked for Lehman Brothers, and they worked for Bear Stearns, and they worked for Merrill Lynch, and all these companies that have either collapsed or been bought up or reconfigured. And in any case, the ones that are left don't have the same credibility they did, and uh, as Rick suggests there, are hunkering down and serving their investment clients instead of spending quite so much time um, gad flying around. Is that a word? Probably not. Uh, gad flying around in the press. Interesting dynamic. And into the void steps IHS Global Insight. There you have it. No major investigation, just a little window. I got curious, and uh, maybe that's of interest to you. I hope it is. Uh, the voices that shape our news, IHS Global Insight, they are all over public radio and probably will be for some time to come. Now you know a little more about them and uh, the dynamic at play. That's the end of the podcast for this pre-Thanksgiving week. I'm Jeff Horwich. Sandin Totten uh, mixed that beautiful little IHS reporter public radio host montage, panned all left and right and back and forth. Wasn't that beautiful? And his uh, fingerprints, as always, are all over everything in the show today. Uh, we're going to hear from him again in the coming weeks, of course. Anna Wagle helping us out as usual. Barb Abney, DJ at The Current, and the voice of underwriting here at uh, Minnesota Public Radio, being the voice of fake Walmart at the top of the show. 
And just as a little cherry on top while we're talking about things we're thankful for, uh, my son, who is just about 18 months old, surprised me at the office last night. I was in here working on some parts of the show, and my wife had to pick him up at daycare and bring him back here, and she had to get some work on So anyway, I couldn't work in the meantime. He was hanging out with me in here in the studio. And uh, so just for fun, I flipped the microphone on, and when he wasn't grabbing at it, he was uh, testing out some of the words and sounds that he knows. And uh, so let's end on a really, really cute note, if I might, uh, 10 to 15 seconds here of random baby sounds. We have here in order, bubble, duck, dada, mama, the sound a sheep makes, the sound a cow makes, the sound a cat makes, and finally, the sound a tiger makes. Bubble, duck, dada, mama, baba, moo, That's the hard-hitting news coverage you expect from the news leader in the loop. Everybody have a great Thanksgiving. I'll talk to you next week.